I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there. Welcome in to a very special edition of World Soccer Talk Radio. Here with you live on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network and in podcast form on demand via iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. My name is Nate Abaurea. Pleasure and a privilege to be with you here on this program. And our good friend Kardik Krishnayer is going to be joining us in this edition of the show to discuss his new book entitled Soccer Wars. That's right. Soccer Wars Inside America's Soccer Feud Between MLS, NASL, and USL. This book is Kardik's second book. It's published by World Soccer Talk, and it dives deep into the, call it a war right now, between Major League Soccer, the North American Soccer League, USL, the United States Soccer Federation, and everything that goes with it. Where are we as a soccer nation right now? Where do we go from here? We we could talk about the national team. We could talk about systems of player development. We could talk about youth teams, the pay-to-play system, equal pay. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show, but today... We're really going to focus in on the battle between these leagues right now, the steps that the North American Soccer League is currently taking, the steps that Major League Soccer is taking right now as Don Garber travels North America to find out if you have what he's looking for. And that is, of course, a big bag of cash, to be exact, $100 million. We're going to talk about Soccer United marketing better known as some by some of you, Soccer United Marketing and the stranglehold that they have on U.S. soccer. We're going to talk also about the current situation between the U.S. Women's National Team and the United States Soccer Federation. The women suing USSF over wage discrimination, the United States Soccer Federation suing the women to prevent them from going on strike. It is a big fiasco right now. We are going to dive deep into all of it with Kardik Krishnayer with us on the other side of this break. It's World Soccer Talk Radio right here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Listening to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barrea. 
on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Welcome back in to the show, World Soccer Talk Radio, Sports Byline. My name is Nate Abarea. Tweet me at NateWST. The discussion in this edition of the show, Soccer Wars, Inside America's Soccer Feud between MLS, NASL, and USL. And it's a pleasure to welcome back to the show the author of that aforementioned new book, Kardik Krishnire. How you doing, sir? I am doing quite well, Nate. It's great to be back on with you. It's great to have you uh, hear your voice on, on a show. It's, uh, it's more sporadic than I, I would like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, please uh, spread spread that feeling across the world. Uh, more more people more people need to feel that way. Indeed. So, hey, um, sunshine, unicorns, and lollipops. Right. That's the situation around U.S. soccer. Everyone's happy. Everyone's smiling. Rainbows and high fives, and and we're all hunky dory. Right. I know we've had soccer wars in the past, and that's stuff that that you and I have read about and written about and studied about. But I've never actually lived through it, and. What we have now is, I would say, between all of this stuff that we're going to talk about between leagues and, of course, the women's national team, and then the, uh, the poisonous atmosphere around uh, the fan base for the U.S. Uh, US men's national team, the most toxic atmosphere I've seen uh, in this sport. Now, uh, some would say it's a healthy sign that we're maturing and we are uh, questioning things. That's uh, certainly one opinion. Uh, that's certainly one point of view, and uh, but you could say the other side is we're not there yet, and we can't be eating one another up because we are not the NFL or the NBA, or we're not uh, football in England or Germany or, or Brazil or Argentina. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to chew on. We got an hour, and uh, we won't cover everything. <laughs> you brought up one of my favorite points there, and that is the the be the 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 idea of being on board with the project. That if you if you have anything negative to say, then you are not for the advancement of American soccer. Oh, I always love that one. All right, let's get into this book. Let's get into soccer wars and what this book really focuses on, which is the relationship, a, a rather dysfunctional one to say the least, between. Major League Soccer, NASL, and the USL. And, and a lot of this is in regards to the relationship between Major League Soccer and the North American Soccer League and the steps that NASL is taking right now. Talk about your original inspiration to write this thing and, and what people can find in this book and, and what someone might take away from some of the chapters in this book, Kardik. Uh, let me first preface that by saying between the time this book was written and submitted to the editors and it's being released, which is now. Uh, I was hired by an NASL team as a, uh, as a communications consultant. So I just want to uh, get that out there about the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. And uh, they're very supportive of everything uh, I do. And that's my local club. That's my hometown club. My affinity is, uh, you know, part of the reason I, w- I was with an NASL fan and, and I worked for NASL was my attachment to that club. So uh, my club happens to be an NASL, so I'm more an NASL fan than an MLS or USL fan, but I'm a supporter of soccer, which is why I follow all the leagues. So I just want to get that, uh, that preface out of the way, uh, that I'm working for the Strikers and that um, as a consultant, that's why I have these other things like writing books and covering Orlando City, which is an MLS team. I'm a beat writer that covers them. Uh, so I just want to get that out of the way. So I know that there'll, there'll be people who, uh, who question that, thinking that I'm on the, the NASL side in this uh, dispute. Um, which I try and view from a very balanced perspective. So that was my, um, my inspiration to write the book with, A, 
to uh, to explain some of the things that had happened in the growth of the NASL and the decision to go after Major League Soccer uh, and create kind of a third way or a second way, if you want. And I guess we could, that that's uh, third way is a political thing because we have two major political parties here. So this would be a second way uh, if you consider the USSF and MLS a monolithic entity, which I don't, by the way. Um, I know many do, although there are some very questionable dealings between the U.S. Soccer Federation and Major League Soccer, and I'm sure we're going to get into that uh, today, as even especially as we talk about what's happening with the women's national team right now. But um, I, I, was, I wanted to set the record straight about the history of the NASL and talk a little bit about how the NASL had worked closely with the U.S. Soccer Federation and Major League Soccer initially and how USL... Uh, the league that NASL teams originally broke off of was seen as a bit of a rogue league, and for good reason, because they weren't doing the things that they weren't maintaining professional standards in this sport, in this country, and in, in the U.S. and Canada, and in North America. And, uh, and uh, Nate, I also, if, you, if I say this country in reference to the league, stop me, because these are, um, these are uh, North American leagues, U.S. and Canada. I know a lot of times we think very parochially about them being American leagues. Uh, but they, they cover both countries. Although that's a bit of a complication. I don't think that that's for today's show. So that was really my inspiration, to set the record straight on some of that stuff, talk about what the vision was for the NASL initially. And I think uh, it was a vision that MLS and the U.S. Soccer Federation were uh, excited about because they saw the NASL as a league that could, would, would operate lower division soccer on a higher level, more professionally than USL, and that they could work with uh, the NASL. And... Um, Everybody seemed to have this spirit of cooperation until the New York Cosmos joined the league, and then there was also all this stuff about traffic sports. Um, that having been said, I think uh, uh, since I finished writing the manuscript, Bill Peterson has made some very uh, wise moves to, to, to distance the uh, NASL from uh, that whole traffic uh, uh, mentality. So uh, that's been in the last couple months. I, I would give him credit for that. But I, I, this book was written the late last year. Uh, I would I would uh, state it was written between November and uh, the first week of January. So, Kardec, the the symbiotic relationship that you bring up, which which many people thought could could really happen, could legitimately be a thing. They, they, these two leagues could coexist and actually benefit one another. That mindset seemingly has gone out the window and out into a canyon to blow up into a million pieces. What right. is the, the grand objective right now of the NASL? And, and this is diving into the book, but also incorporating some of these developments that you speak of over the last couple of months with, with the commissioner and, and everyone around him. Yeah, I, I think um, the NASL has kind of accepted in some respects uh, I, it, you know, it, it, it's up to ownership. I, I, team ownership, and this, this is an important point about the NASL, the team ownership is very young. So uh, you don't have the experienced hands in the soccer business that the NASL had when the league broke off from USL, uh, when you had guys like Joey Saputo sitting around that table who had owned the team since the mid-'90s, uh, and uh, you know, people like Bob Leonarduzzi who had been in the game. You don't really have those guys, so... I think it's very fluid. Right now, I think the goal might be, in some respects, to compete with MLS and in some respects to complement them. Um, and that's, uh, I think it's based on individual markets and individual owner preferences. My suspicion is as we get deeper into this and owners are losing a lot of money, that they might, they might settle for something um, below MLS level. 
which would be logical, but uh, let's, let's see where the dust settles. There's a lot of moving parts right now in, in this discussion, but I think uh, the NASL had, uh, after the Cosmos point, had this, this view that they needed to, um, they needed to kind of split themselves uh, from the, the soccer pyramid in this country, which, which by the way, is what drove USL and, and MLS together. I, I don't think there was much of an interest on the MLS end to work with USL prior to uh, the NASL thumbing their noses at, at, at uh, MLS. I think USL was just seen as kind of this, this throwaway, poorly administered, uh, poorly managed, or and when I say poorly administered and poorly managed, in some cases they're overhand, oh, uh, they're, they're heavy-handed in their management. Not that they're, uh, that it's, uh, uh, they, they're very arbitrary in how they apply things. And in some cases, they're, they're AWOL. In other cases, they're, they're down their throats with how they deal with teams. There's just no, there were no set standards and no, no set guidelines and no um, uh, way, ways of real governance. And I think MLS and, and the U.S. Soccer Federation were tired of that. So they saw NASL as a potential vehicle to move the game forward uh, in this country, knowing you have to have a good lower division structure, knowing that we're developing so many players now that you have to have uh, places for them to play. Uh, and to be treated like professionals, and also knowing that sponsorship opportunities, everything kind of gets improved by having a, a strong lower division, and you develop new markets for the, for the top division. The book is Soccer Wars, Inside America's Soccer Feud Between MLS, NASL, and USL. His name is Kardik Krishnayer. My name is Nate Abarea. We're back after this on World Soccer Talk Radio talking about the figureheads in this saga. We're going to talk about the likes of Bill Peterson, Don Garber, Sunil Gulati, and a few other main figures in this whole drama. Back after this on Sports Byline. Stay tuned. You're listening to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Kardik Krishnayer is our guest discussing his new book, Soccer Wars, Inside America's Soccer Feud Between MLS, NASL, and USL. We brought up North American Soccer League Commissioner Bill Peterson, and in my Two conversations with him on this show, Cardick. We've we've talked about this jokingly. We've talked about this seriously a few times between ourselves off the air, and it's how he continuously would refer to the league on on this program. Anytime I'd, I'd use the words Division Two or or Second Division, anything like that, he'd say, "Nate, I want to make it abundantly clear we are an independent professional soccer league." And he repeated yeah. that phrase so many times. And and what does that really mean in the grand scheme of things? And and we can tie this perhaps into the latest status of a potential antitrust lawsuit that NASL is threatened to file against Major League Soccer and the blockades that Major League Soccer has attempted and some would say successfully put up to prevent NASL from gaining Division I status and truly being that independent professional soccer league that Bill Peterson loves so much. Yeah, although I have to say I think the divisional designations are just semantics. I, I don't know... Why the NASL is hung up on Division One status? I, I have to say, I, I, the my thinking all along was that that if you don't have promotion and relegation, these division statuses that are set by the U.S. Soccer Federation are very arbitrary. First division, second division, third division. Uh, there are uh, uh, and the standards. Obviously, you have to have uh, bigger budgets, uh, bigger staff, uh, bigger bigger stadiums. 
all of this stuff being bigger cities to be Division One, then in Division Two, and then Division Two, same field versus Division Three. So that's how they, they, they differentiate the divisions. But if you are a Division Two league or even a Division Three league and you theoretically put a team in New York, and you put a team in Los Angeles, and you put a team in Chicago, and you put a team in, in Atlanta, and all, you know, all these big cities, in Houston and Dallas, you have a footprint where you're a national league. And uh, considering that we're told time and again, and I, I write it uh, when I'm covering, comparing uh, the, the, the interest in the Premier League uh, to Major League Soccer, that there are a number of domestic soccer fans, a large percentage of domestic soccer fans, who find MLS's product to be inadequate uh, for whatever reason, whether it's the quality of soccer, whether it's the quality of venues, whether it is the league rules, the league structure, the lack of promotion and relegation, whatever the case. There are the majority of people who are soccer fans in this country, uh, I can't speak for Canada, although I think it's the same in Canada, um, are not fans of Major League Soccer. They don't watch Major League Soccer. When Don Garber said a year ago, uh, uh, six months ago or so, that there are more uh, MLS fans in the United States than Premier League fans, and cited some statistics, it was just madness to claim that. It's just not. I mean, and, and you can even go into MLS cities, not into Portland or Orlando or Salt Lake or places like that, but bigger MLS markets like Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, and you'll see more Liverpool kits or more Real Madrid kits or more Manchester City kits than you will for the local MLS team. It's just it's, it's, it's reality. So I think the point being you don't have to be designated as a Division One if you're able to truly get your act together and compete with, uh, with Major League Soccer, which is why I just don't understand the NASL's obsession with being a Division One. That, that having been laid out, there are some clear roadblocks that have been put in the NASL's way to getting Division One status, or I'm uh, sorry, not getting Division One status, but to competing with MLS the way they could. And I, and I, I didn't really elaborate on this on the, in the book, but it's come into the forefront the last three days with NASL having to buy their way onto television, onto CBS, as Neil Morris reported a couple hours ago. And I, I will admit, because I'm, again, working, uh, consulting with an NASL team, I was privy to that information a week ago. Um, and the lawsuit with the women's, uh, with the five women's national team players, uh, I, a big part of that lawsuit, I have to state, and no one wants to talk about this, is that the, re- the, NA- the Major League Soccer's TV uh, existence is essentially being subsidized by the United States Soccer Federation and uh, the success of the United States women's national team. And that money doesn't go back to the women's national team. It goes to Soccer United Marketing and Major League Soccer and the MLS owners. So um, the popularity of women's soccer and the success of the women's national team, the one successful product that the United States Soccer Federation has. I mean, <laughs> the, 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 the men's uh, program is an embarrassment right now, and I think we all know that. Uh, I think anyone who's honest with themselves knows that. It is uh, subsidizing Major League Soccer's uh, existence on television, which is a roadblock for the NASL. The NASL has to buy its way onto CBS Sports. But MLS gets onto ESPN and Fox, uh, partly because ESPN and Fox, in order to pay MLS's marketing arm, uh, the TV deal, gets women's national team rights. And, you know, you can market Alex Morgan and Abby Wong, well, not Abby anymore, but uh, Carly Lloyd and, and, 
and, and uh, Hope Solo, etc. I don't know who in Major League Soccer you market. I don't know that any television network would pay a substantial rights fee to show MLS games. But there's a substantial fee paid in this latest television deal uh, because you get women's and men's national team rights. It, it, I, I think it's pretty simple. Now, now I'm making assumptions here, but the people may, who make the assumption and come back at me or come back at people who, who talk about this, and it's been very underground until this week, and say, well, MLS, if it were on its own, and maybe they would even get more money in rights fees, and, you know, it, it, it's just good to, to, for, for the league and the federation to work together. Uh, I don't see the English FA packaging the Premier League rights with the rights to England national team games and the rights to major tournaments. I don't see the French F, uh, the FFF doing that. I don't even see the CSA. Well, the CSA doesn't have a league to market. But, so, to me, it, 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 it's benefiting one of the two parties more than the other and potentially hurting the other party. And I can't see, given where we are and how patriotic we are and how successful the women's national team is and how big an event U.S. men's national team games have become uh, on the sports landscape, uh, how uh, uh, this, this relationship benefits uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation uh, it's benefiting Major League Soccer, and it's, it, it, it's erecting a roadblock for NASL or anyone else who wants to challenge Major League Soccer, which then uh, I think um, yeah, I don't think that has anything to do with Division One status. So getting back to your original question, no, I don't know why the NASL hung up on D1 status. I don't think it, it makes a difference. It's things like this that make a difference. And the collusion going on on television deals. Cardick, we're going to talk a whole lot more about the uh, U.S. women's national team situation and, and how it relates to, to all the stuff that we're talking about right now. But in the three minutes that we got left in this segment, I want to go back to something that you just touched on, and that is the, the relationship between Major League Soccer and, and the United States Soccer Federation and the relationship between Sunil Gulati and Don Garber. And, and I just have to say that anywhere else in the world, a story like this, I feel, would end up with both of those men being grilled uh, about this situation on, on a financial level, on, on an ethical level. But what do you think the reaction will be in this country? And what do you think the reaction is going to be like from Sunil Gulati and Don Garber to this whole situation? Can, can we expect to hear anything from either of them on any of the stuff that we're talking about right now? Or can we expect to see them burying their heads in the sand until this all flies away, Cardick? I think uh, it's going to, uh, uh, I don't think it's going to be very uh, candid from them if they, if they come out with it, look, uh, Sunil Gulati wouldn't testify in front of Congress when he was subpoenaed. I sent poor Dan Flynn, who, who didn't do very well there. I, I think um, this, is, this is an interesting thing, though, because there are a lot of fans of the NASL who are going to pick up my book and read it and, and not, uh, not like the fact that I, I think that there are, there are some that the USSF and MLS are not in complete alignment. I will say Sunil Gulati and Don Garber are in alignment. I agree with that. The irony being Don Garber was hired uh, as the commissioner of MLS uh, right as soon as Sunil Gulati was uh, fired as the deputy commissioner. Uh, Sunil was essentially the, 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 the brains behind MLS. But they both had a relationship with uh, the uh, New England uh, Patriots owner, New England Revolution owner, of, uh, Bob Kraft. So they were simpatico. I think Gulati was just uh, let go at that point, and he, he's, he's been an important figure in the game in this country for about 25 years now, and Gulati has been. Uh, Garber, not, not as long, since, since 1999. Um, 
<laughs> now, what, 16 years, right? 17 years? So I guess he's been around for a while also. Uh, but the relationship between those two men is important, and they're in alliance. They're in, um, in accord on most things. But there were elements within the USSF that pushed back on MLS, which is why I think initially with the NASL, we found some pockets of support in the USSF because um, there are people who, who, who think uh, having an independent league or someone that's kind of outside this, uh, this circle is good for things like player development, things like um, uh, growing the game on a grassroots level. Now, I have to say NASL hasn't done a very good job of that stuff at all because they've been uh, held then, for lack of a better word, on challenging MLS. But there are uh, things at the grassroots and localized level NASL clubs can do, and some of them do them quite well, like the Carolina Railhawks. To, um, to really create an imprint locally in the soccer community, the greater soccer community that MLS clubs, most MLS clubs don't do. Again, his name is Kardik Krishnayer. My name is Nate Abarea discussing Kardik's new book, Soccer Wars, Inside America's Soccer Feud Between MLS, NASL, and USL. We'll continue the discussion on this book on the other side of the break and get into that aforementioned lawsuit going on right now. All the legal action between the U.S. women's national team players in a, a equal pay dispute with the United States Soccer Federation and a potential countersuit to prevent the women from going on strike. It is a big quagmire. We're back after this. Stay tuned. You're listening to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. All right, Carter Krishnayer, let's talk a little bit about Soccer United marketing right now, and then we'll talk about the lawsuit situation with the uh, United States Soccer Federation and the U.S. women's national team players. First, Going into some, there was a recent editorial in the New York Daily News on the quote-unquote stranglehold that Soccer United Marketing has on U.S. soccer as a whole. Why the word stranglehold and why do people need to know more about Soccer United Marketing, Kardik? Well, I think precisely for the reasons I outlined in the last segment, which are um, this, uh, this co-mingling of, of, of properties and partnerships which uh, essentially funnels the commercial value of, of the United States men's and women's national teams into Major League Soccer as a subsidy to MLS owners. Uh, or you could, you could interpret it as a subsidy. I interpret it as a subsidy. Uh, others will say, hey, they're the best marketing company. The U.S. Uh, uh, commercial rights are worth more because they're the ones who market it. I'm not quite sure I buy that. Um, but that's why. Now, moving, moving forward with, with this company, moving forward with Soccer United Marketing, is there going to be any sort of perceived toxicity with, with the name? I mean, we, we all know what happened with traffic sports over the last year. And, and look, I'm not trying to, to make any direct connections between these things, but is, is there going to become a little bit of, of perceived toxicity with Soccer United Marketing? Or are they going to be able to just skate free doing what they've been doing for years? Perhaps. Uh, getting back to the book for a minute, a big part of what I wrote about was that it was traffic sports' desire to break this stranglehold 
that Soccer United Marketing has in the United States, uh, thanks to this very cozy relationship with the United States Soccer Federation and with other entities, that uh, I think motivated some of the, uh, the alleged, well, they're not alleged anymore, actually, <laughs> the, the, the illegality, the, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the things that, that brought traffic sports down and, and, and uh, nearly brought the NHL down. I mean, I think those things um, were largely motivated by a sense of competition with Soccer United Marketing. Now, um, to this point, Soccer United Marketing has appeared clean in there's no DOJ investigation. Uh, Don Garber went, has said very clearly we're not linked to this scandal. But um, I think we're finding the, the soccer business and, and the, the marketing side of the soccer business uh, throughout the world uh, has, some, has some funny things going on. And there's some, some dirtiness around it. And I, and I have to say, you know, there's always been this kind of attitude among American soccer people that we're very pure, but there's all this illegality in the third world, the rest of CONCACAF, uh, these sorts of things, right? And um, uh, there's kind of a dismissive attitude. These crimes that we're talking about, that traffic sports committed, took place on U.S. soil where the United States Soccer Federation is the governing body. They took place in CONCACAF, where Sunil Gulati sits in every meeting, where he's one of the uh, three CONCACAF representatives on the FIFA Executive Committee. Yet the United States Soccer Federation, Major League Soccer, and Soccer United Marketing had no role, were caught off guard, are horrified, or aghast. Okay. I mean, maybe it's believable. I just uh, choose to be skeptical about their claims. Oh, just, just take it, just take it all in, Cardick. Just, just take it in. Don't question anything, right? That's got to be. Right. That's got to be the mindset. That's what well, they're. That's, that's what they're hoping. That, unfortunately, that's part of the book here. That's the mentality of a lot of fans of both these leagues. There are a lot of MLS fans who have been that way for years. Uh, NASL didn't have that set of fans until very recently. Who are now. Uh, uh, now, uh, just assume anything any uh, MLS or U.S. soccer does is corrupt. Uh, assume it's all part of some grand conspiracy. And um, right, right. Look, look, Cardiff, there, there, There's got to be a there's got to be a middle ground somewhere. There, there has to yeah. be nuance here. There has to be there has to be a happy medium somewhere. And and, and I got to ask you real quickly about Don Garber, who today is actually uh, up in Northern California meeting. Uh, with folks from Sac Republic up there in the uh, state capital of Sacramento and seeing if Sac has a, a nice big bag of $100 million to give him and, and these buy-in fees into Major League Soccer. And, and that's the last thing I want to ask you about in relation to Major League Soccer and Don Garber. That's one of the things I always bring up with people, and I've never gotten a, a detailed answer. I've never gotten anybody from league officials who I've spoken to, to fans, to people who are staunch supporters of, of the Don Garber administration. Where does this $100 million go? And, and we've done full shows with, with, with Stefan Szymanski here on, on Sports Byline on World Soccer Talk Radio before where we've discussed this for an hour and I feel like we, we never really get a firm answer. Where does the $100 million go for these buy-in fees? And, and if I get the answer one more time, my head's going to explain of it goes to league fees and, and covers league costs and this just ridiculous level of ambiguity that I always get with this topic. Cardick, can you perhaps shine a little bit of light on where the $100 million buy-in fee actually goes? Yeah, I mean, the MLS is very transparent, but there are, there are 
legitimate places it goes. It goes to repay investors, initial investors in the league, the Hunts, the Crafts, the Anschutz, uh, the people who've been owning clubs since the very beginning or nearly the beginning, uh, and carried multiple clubs for a period of time. It goes to investment in uh, more in marketing. It goes to investment in things like the referee program, where MLS has spent a lot of money to try and upgrade the standard of referees. It doesn't seem to be working, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I don't know that it's working anywhere in the world. We see bad calls all over the place. I mean, I just think this game is getting right, right. more and more difficult to officiate. But that's a, that's a whole other subject. It goes to things like that. Um, but I think a big chunk of it goes back into the, the pockets of the initial investors who have lost, in fairness to them, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars on the sport. Uh, maybe they haven't lost hundreds of millions of dollars anymore because they're recouping their things from these expansion fees. But <laughs> at one point had lost hundreds of millions of dollars on, on sustaining this sport and sustaining this league. So it goes in to further investment. There we go. And then, then from there, maybe we'll dig a little deeper next time. We'll, we'll try to really get to the bottom of where every last cent of these $100 million buy-in fees actually go. All right, let's talk about lawsuits, Cardick, something that, that you are very well-versed in. You have a, a great knowledge of the American legal system. Let's talk about the U.S. women's national team players suing... USSF suing the United States Soccer Federation over wage discrimination and the United States Soccer Federation threatening to sue these women's players to prevent them from going on strike. Cardiff, what's the latest on this story and, and what, what can you tell us about this whole thing? Well, I mean, it's been coming for some time, hasn't it? And, and um, the, US, uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation is... Um, has uh, done a lot at, at an early stage, and I think it's also because of the makeup of this country, and we're we're more progressive when it comes to having women in sports and and, and promoting that uh, than uh, than other places. So uh, I don't think it was all out of the goodness of the U.S. Soccer Federation's heart, but we were more um, more progressive in promoting women's soccer at the national team level um, and at the youth levels all the way down uh, earlier than than. Uh, most other countries, and now now Western Europe is really beginning to catch up. Germany, France, England. They, we talked about this before on the show. They've made massive investments in women's football, and they've got uh, club teams, big club teams, spending a lot of money. Uh, Manchester City and Chelsea's uh, and Arsenal's ladies teams spend more money than our teams here in in, in our league um, in the NWSL on players. So um, there's been investments made, but uh, you know, recently. What it seems has happened, as I outlined two segments ago, or in the first, I can't remember when it was, but sometime uh, a couple minutes ago, was that now I think the men's program, and particularly Major League Soccer, are benefiting financially off of the success of the women's national team, and the money is not being put back into the women's game or into the women's national team. Now, yeah, you could say that uh, U.S. Soccer Federation has subsidized um, uh, a number of players that play in NWSL, um, the previous women's league, women's professional soccer, WPS, one of the, the, the reasons they failed, there were a couple, but one of the reasons the league went out of business was because they were burdened by a, a deal with Soccer United Marketing that was made for them by U.S. Soccer and MLS. Um, but I, I, would, I would argue very strongly, and I, I haven't seen the numbers, but obviously the, the five players and, and their lawyer, Jeffrey Kessler, has, has this documented, I would argue very strongly that the women's national team in this country as a standalone product is, more, is one of the most marketable 
uh, it may be the most marketable thing in this sport outside of Messi and Ronaldo. And it's the, um, it's, so it's the most marketable thing we have in the United States. And it is instead kind of dumbed down and packaged uh, for television purposes with the United States men's national team, which is a, which is a, yeah, I mean, we were better in 1995, Copa America, 94 World Cup, than we are now. And we were a program that's regressed in the last 20 years, in spite of all the money that's been spent on it. And, um, uh, and Major League Soccer, which is getting this, what I believe is a subsidy, or could be argued as a subsidy, based on the success of the women's national team. So everybody wants to watch the women's national team. Everybody wants women's national team rights, right? They want to show those games. They talk about it. It creates a buzz. And the money is going into Soccer United marketing and then going back to MLS owners. And they're not getting paid equally, right? And, and um, I get this thing about, well, the World Cup generated this much revenue, the men's World Cup versus the women's World Cup. But, Nate, uh, how much revenue did the United States men's national team generate from, uh, from the World Cup? I mean, how, how many of the tickets that were sold for the World Cup and all the TV, how much was it had to do with them? Uh, they're, they're just this... Curiosity, this team that plays hard and you know, runs around, a uh, high-energy team. We, 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 you know, we know the traits of American men's soccer players, for, for the most part, in the national team. Whereas the women's team is a successful winning team that has helped build the brand of the entire sport globally. So how can you make, a, make an equivalent saying, well, this, this team generates more revenue because they're in the men's game, the men's game generates more revenue. That's a nonsensical argument. Cardiac, how do you see, the, so, see this thing breaking so from down? From my perspective, you... the U.S. women's national team has more, it, it probably generates more interest and more excitement than the men's national team. I, I, would, I would have to agree with you, Cardiac. And, and to close this thing, how do you see this legal situation actually going down? How do you see the, the, the end result happening here uh, with this whole saga between the United States Soccer Federation and these women's players? Well, the U.S. Soccer Federation is going to have to try and settle, you would think, um, and, and, and make some sort of uh, accommodation. I mean, they don't want, if they, if they are as tightly aligned with Major League Soccer as some people claim they are, they're not going to want that, the potential of the TV contract being broken up and MLS having to, to, to put their TV contract out the bid without U.S. soccer's uh, uh, properties being linked. They don't want to lose a, 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 an equality uh, or equal pay lawsuit in the courts. They don't want it being litigated. Uh, they don't want the public relations um, uh, uh, disaster that comes with appearing to be misogynistic. Not that the U.S. Soccer Federation is, but that will be the appearance of some people. Um, especially considering the fans of this sport tend to be, I don't want to get into politics, but the fans of this sport tend to be more progressive than the fans of golf, right? When uh, the thing happened with the Masters, it was different because their fan base is very different demographically than the fan base of, uh, of U.S. soccer at both the men's and women's level. So, um, yeah, I think they're going to have to settle. Well, we'll see how that all plays I out. Don't we'll think a... I don't think they want to go into court. I think they'll have to settle. Well, we'll see how it all plays out. We'll keep a close eye on it for certain. Now, uh, Cardick, let people know how they can uh, get a hold of this book, how they can read uh, the ebook Soccer Wars, the ongoing, uh, the ongoing fight, the uh, Inside America soccer feud between MLS, NASL, and USL. Well, it'll be, um, it, it's available on Apple Books. It's available on on uh, on Smashwords, it's available. Uh, I believe on Bar- yes, on believe available on Barnes and Noble. It will be available on Amazon within a day or two. So you can find it there. Obviously, go to WorldSoccerTalk.com for all details and uh, and uh, uh, check it out.
Cardick, lastly, we have 60 seconds before we got to let you go. We, we've broken down so many problems in American soccer, and we're talking all about the, the saga and, and the drama and the soccer wars. Let's get back to loving this game in now 40 seconds. Let us know your soccer plans this weekend, Cardick. Okay, so I've got the Fort Lauderdale Strikers game against Miami FC, the new team, on Saturday night. I will be... Uh, I will be working that game. I'll be there from about noon onwards. But after I watch Manchester City versus Bournemouth, I'll head out to the stadium. I'll keep an eye on my phone on Spurs versus Liverpool. Um, the Classico will we'll DVR that game and then uh, watch that uh, probably Sunday morning, the Classico, and then head up to Orlando for Orlando City against the reigning MLS champion Portland Timbers. And Portland is a, um, it's just a nice team uh, to watch, if you, even if you're not – an MLS fan. They're, they're a team worth watching. Caleb Porter plays uh, a I, I try to watch them. That, that's the thing that kills me is I try to watch them because they, uh, they do play a very attractive brand of soccer, but all I end up doing if I'm in person or on TV is I just watch Caleb Porter on the sideline because that to me is just <laughs> as entertaining. He is a masterpiece yes, is. of entertainment on that touchline. Yes, Kardik Krishnayer, thank you so much for joining us and I look forward to continuing this conversation in coming shows. Thanks again, man. Thank you, Nick. Again, that was Kardik Krishnayer. Check out the book Soccer Wars, Inside America's Soccer Feud between MLS, NASL, and USL. Back to close this thing out after this, World Soccer Talk Radio. Hey, another huge thank you to Kardik Krishnayer for joining us. Follow him on Twitter at KKFLA737 and get the book Soccer Wars Inside America's Soccer Feud between MLS, NASL, and USL. But remember how we closed out the show today by getting back to the game that we love. I spent an entire summer on the show discussing the FIFA scandal with so many great guests. I just had the great privilege of talking to Kardik about this new book and, and the soccer wars and the situation that we have going on in America, the fiasco right now in American soccer. Remember what started your interest in soccer, and that was hopefully a love for the game. Get out and play some soccer this weekend. Get out and go to a match this weekend. Coach a game this weekend. Play in the park with your kids. Do whatever. Give back to the game, because remember, that is what it's all about. Nate Abarea, signing off. I love this game. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. World Soccer Talk Radio. Bye for now.